0: I was in, I was in.
1: Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us, I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Despite the ungodly heat, I am back for yet another paranormally packed episode. But before we get started with our newest calls, I'm going to revisit Caitlin's call from last week's episode. If you recall, Caitlin described an encounter with a pale, gaunt creature in an Illinois graveyard. Over the past week, I've had several emails submitted offering explanations as to what was witnessed that evening. The first of those emails was from a gentleman named Jonathan, who suggested I check out a show called Sasquatch Chronicles. According to Jonathan, in episode 320 of that show, a witness described seeing something very similar to what Caitlin detailed in her experience. The following is a short description of what that witness described on that episode we stopped dead in our tracks at the color alone. Thinking at first, it's probably an animal, but as we walked along this wood path, our feet were heavy and loud, and it didn't move at all. To us, we saw it in a profile stance. Honestly, it looked human. It was crouched, balancing high on its toes, arms hanging between the knees, but you could see they touched the ground between the legs. At the time, I remember this creature, that's what I'll call it, looking very small, but we were some distance away. It looked like it was starving. If you've seen pictures of girls battling severe anorexia, that is the closest I can come to explaining the lack of meat on this creature. It wasn't a person. No way. It appeared to be completely, and I mean completely, hairless. It stayed in its profile stance, not looking at us. We walked closer. It never moved. We almost started whispering jokingly that it was a scary model or statue from the lack of movement, even when we got to a point of stomping to scare it off or try to get it to move. We were scared, but we were intrigued. My friend never walked any closer to it, but I did. Curiosity tends to get the best of me more often than not. I walked closer, I guess to show that there was nothing to be frightened of, since it hadn't moved, but boy was I wrong. I walked closer, moving so amazingly slow as to not startle it, because as I got closer, the more details I got. I still don't think I was ever any closer than ten feet away, at least. I stopped and reached off the path for something to throw at it. I threw some things toward it, and finally got it to move. It was something that only at the time I could describe as what was a very sick, starving human. Even though from the side I saw no visible nose or ears, and there was no strong facial bone structure in the brow or jawline. The neck was the length of most humans. Down its back, the spine was protruding. The tops of the shoulders were so bony they almost appeared pointed. I saw no shoulder blades ever. No stomach was visible, only ribs, and almost a protruding type of chest bone. My first thought was that this was an alien. After all my attempts to move this guy had failed, I finally started kicking some debris at it. Then, finally, after what seemed like an eternity of looking and harassing this creature, it moved. The creepiest moving thing I have ever seen. Another interesting observation made was by Britt in Pennsylvania. Britt suggested that the creature Caitlin had encountered was none other than the infamous Wendigo. For those unfamiliar, the Wendigo is a creature of Native American folklore that is said to be the spirit or manifestation of a warrior who by choice or desperation practice the act of cannibalism. The description of a Wendigo is not far from what Caitlin described in her email, making Britt's observation spot on. Time does not permit me to go through each and every email submitted, but I do appreciate the interaction. It's through discussions like this that we really begin uncovering the roots of these encounters. Thank you again to all those that have reached out to me. I have an amazing show lined up for you this evening and several downright creepy encounters to get to, so let's go ahead and get at it. Sometimes there are memories that are so bewildering and so strange that you think they can't be real. You chalk it up to an ill-fated memory, a television event mistaken for real life, or a downright fabrication. For those listening to such memories, it's extremely difficult not to take the story with a grain of salt. After all, the old saying goes, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. But for those that have actually experienced these unbelievable encounters, it can be even more frustrating. You remember vividly the accounts, but your rational mind holds you back. No matter how crystal clear the image is in your mind, your self-doubt has a way of clouding things. A similar predicament befalls the first of our callers this evening. It is difficult to pull the name from the call, but I believe this is Scott's call from California.
2: Hello, my name is Scott, and I live in Southern California, and I have uh, my entire life, and I was calling to share with you um, my one and only paranormal experience, and uh, it was about 40 years ago when I was about uh, 10 years old. It was in the middle of the night. I was asleep in my room. My parents used to leave on the hallway light, uh, dimmed in case one of us kids had to get up in the middle of the night. And for some reason this night I woke up and I was laying on my right side looking towards the hallway trying to go back to sleep when a chimpanzee dressed in denim coveralls rounds the corner and proceeds into my room. And it's headed straight towards me, looking right at me. I was horrified and I turned over to my left side facing my window and just clenched my eyes shut, just completely horrified. And the next thing I know, um, and I guess this is the reason why the experience was so profound was because it was, uh, it involved, uh, physical touch. And I was a very ticklish kid growing up, and um, this thing uh, or something was digging its fingers into my ribs and tickling me. And even though I was horrified, I was laughing. I mean, I was just squirming and, and laughing because it, it just tickled so much. Um, and this went on for about 10 seconds. Uh, I'm guessing and even after it stopped uh, even though um, it stopped I was just I didn't know what it was going to do next so I laid there I don't know for how long trying to go back to sleep but I could not move because I was so terrified I didn't know what it was going to do next but um, there it is I'd like to get your feedback on that Uh, it's my one and only experience And it's been 40 years since then. And I just wanted to share that with you. Thanks. Love the podcast.
0: Bye.
1: Thank you, Scott, for submitting your story. And I do apologize if that's not actually your name. I'll be truthful. This has to be one of the oddest calls I've received yet. Logistically, I just don't see how this is even possible. Unless, of course, your parents had a pet chimp that you did not know about. My overall feeling about this submission is that the caller does sound genuine. It certainly seems that at least he believes what he is saying. So, that basically leaves us with one of two options. Either the escaped chimpanzee in denim overalls made its way into the caller's home and stumbled into his bedroom, or this is simply the product of a lucid or perhaps fever-induced dream. I certainly do not intend to suggest that the color story is fabricated, but it is possible that his memory is not as clear as he'd like it to be. Either way, Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. You never know, perhaps someone out there has had a similar experience and can shed some light on this extremely strange encounter. Thank you again, Scott, for submitting. Before we dive into our next call, I want to take a quick moment to let the fine folks in Texas and Louisiana know that they are in my thoughts. Please, stay safe and dry out there. Here is Brent's call from Texas.
0: Hello, Derek. I was at our beach trailer on Galveston Island on the night of July 5th. 2013, it's a small RV park where my family has owned lots for decades, uh, for weekends and family get-togethers, so I've spent countless days and nights out there for as long as I can remember. I'm 37 now. Everyone else in my family had gone to bed, and it was a little after midnight, so I was alone on the upper portion of our deck, just enjoying the solitude and night sky. But as I turned around to scan a different portion of the sky, my eyes They caused some movement, I saw about a dozen small white orbs silently flying from the direction of the beach crossing the nearby highway. They were less than a quarter mile away, not very high, just slightly higher than the three-story condos they presumably had just cleared. Um, I watched intently because I couldn't identify what these things were. Um, They were self-illuminated, but not very bright not beaming or flickering, just orbs of soft and steady light. Now, I also noticed that although they were in a seemingly uh, asymmetrical group, uh, roughly spherical shape, my impression was that they were all connected even though no interconnecting structure was visible. Um, all apparently individual lights were gliding, flying, drifting, whatever. Uh, as one single flock, we'll call it. Uh, The sky was visible between each orb, but they did seem unusually rigid in relation to each other, Uh, so if not connected somehow, then perhaps uh, synchronistically navigated. Anyway, in short, uh, by appearance, they were all individual orbs, but acted as one singular conglomeration. I continued watching as they passed over the adjacent cow pasture, noticing that their brightness did not diminish as they passed over this portion of uh, darkness below, thus confirming that they were not being illuminated from the few surrounding lights below. This is the closest view that I would get of these things, um, and they continued going in the same direction towards West Bay behind us um, lights from the mainland can just barely be seen, but West Bay is a fairly vast expanse, and at that hour, mm, nothing but pure blackness really. Uh, I watched the orbs continue out over the bay, still visible, uh, never making any turns or strange maneuvers, uh, due to the distance they gradually faded from view, and in all I'd say the entire scene took about about a minute. I'm an experienced stargazer and an amateur astronomer. I've seen all kinds of things in the sky, flocks of birds, satellites, the the space station, meteors, and of course planes and helicopters. And yes, I've seen drones too. This was none of those things, and I'm honestly at a loss to explain them. I don't have any reason to suspect aliens were involved. Um, I call them orbs, but they were by definition UFOs. Um, I did, uh, take the time to, uh, you know, speculate on what they could be, but nothing's really, uh, been satisfying for me. Um, I thought maybe Chinese lanterns, uh, but they don't flicker, uh, you know, in brightness, and they didn't rise in elevation as you'd expect, something that's heat-powered to do. Um, you know, there are balloons, uh, now with LED lights rarely available. Uh, you fill some with helium and they could fly through the sky, but my impression was that things were not being subject to the whims of the wind. Uh, the lights were not flying at different speeds, and as mentioned, uh, they seemed rigid in relation to each other. You know, balloons sway and wobble, and even if tied together, they wouldn't stay together like I observed. They also did not, they didn't rise. In elevation, as I'd expect of a helium balloon, uh, they just, you know, stayed true on their horizontal path. Uh, I've seen drones, and from this that that very spot, no less. Uh, private drones they don't have that kind of range to be able to traverse the entire bay. Drones typically have flashing lights, and these didn't. Um, there are all kinds of flocks of birds out there. That's pretty common, but they don't self-illuminate and (laughs) even if birds had somehow consumed a bioluminescent organism from the Gulf that caused them to glow uh, which would would be a huge leap in uh, speculation in itself I would still expect to see shades of their bodies and wings not just single points of light. Uh, It was summer and lightning bugs uh, have been out there but it was too far away um, and they didn't fly haphazardly like insects. so I didn't think that was I didn't think that was the case. Um, now I have seen the phenomenon uh, known as ball lightning um, uh, in, in articles. I've never actually seen it myself. you know, I've read about it. Um, but it wasn't stormy at all um, and partly cloudy at most. Uh, there also weren't any sparks or flickers, as I would expect, of something electrical. Uh, I also wouldn't expect ball lightning to fly in a straight path for miles, you know. Now, um... Another possible explanation, and the one that's most appealing to me... Uh, would be... Earth lights. Um, because it just, it seemingly fits, but... The precise nature, or even existence, hasn't been verified. They seem to be more often associated with fault zones and geologically active sites, not a sandbar island in open water, at least least not as far as I know. Uh, And, you know, to use an unknown to explain an unknown isn't satisfactory. It might be right, but I don't really have any confidence in that. Anyway, uh, about a year after, I submitted my account to MUFON, uh, and a field investigator, Chuck maybe, uh, followed up with a phone call interview. I don't know the case number though. Um, I apologize for the length of this, I just wanted to show that I have attempted to account for the mundane and the known, uh, which has left me with the unknown. And um, you know, Feel free to use any portion of this for the podcast thank you for your time and I enjoy the show
1: thank you Brent for submitting such a detailed encounter I really like the fact that you went through every possible explanation and gave reasons why it could and could not be what you witnessed that evening that certainly makes my job easier however there is one possibility that was not touched upon military flares. I do not claim to be an expert in military aircraft, but I do know that military flares are often mistaken for flying craft. In this particular instance, flares drop from a plane gently fall to earth, and with the aid of parachutes, which allow them to stay roughly in formation as they drift in the wind across the bay. With recent breakthroughs in LED technology, it's also possible that these flares were not flame-based, but rather light-emitting diodes which would cause them to appear in different colors. Of course, as I always say, not having been there, it's difficult to determine if my theory holds any water as well. So that said, thank you, Brent, for taking the time to share. I hope you're staying safe out there, buddy. Unfortunately, our next call of the evening seems to have cut off before the caller could finish, but what is detailed is too interesting not to share. So with that in mind, here is Jason's call from Wyoming.
3: Derek, great podcast, man. This is Jason. I'm calling from Wyoming. Um, been been binge listening to your podcast here for the last few days and it's uh, great stuff. You, got, you you guys are doing great work. Um gotta experience myself. Um, I'll just to give you a background on myself. I have Jamaican roots. So, you know, in Jamaican culture we're very very superstitious folks and I believe in a lot of a lot of folk, folklore and myth. Um, personally, for myself, I'm not that kind of a person. Uh, I be- I'm scientific. I believe in facts. Seeing is believing. Um, you know, not to say that you know things don't don't happen, that you know you can't explain, you don't see it. Uh, but for me personally, that's how I am. Uh, you know, uh, it's hard to say, man, how to uh, put this into words. Um, my experience here, but um, I was probably about seven or eight at the time um this was at night um i i was in bed asleep Uh, i was having a dream and um like i said this was like i was probably about seven or eight at the time so this is this was a very clear dream that impacted me so much that even now at 34 years old i uh i still remember this dream like it was yesterday um details of the dream uh you know, even though it was a dream, you know, you say it's a dream, okay, it's not paranormal, but it's, it's what occurred after the dream that was strange. So, in in my dream, I was being chased by a monster. Um, this thing, kind of, it, it was a humanoid type of monster. It um, had like, a, it, it, it described as a monster. It had like a, um, like, tan, leathery skin. Um, almost like an Indian-type headdress. The face of this monster I could not make out. You know, um, I, I you can't couldn't really tell the face, but you could you could see the figure of what this thing was. Um, it had a, it had a legs, but it was kind of like um, like the legs were hinged back. You know, kind of like how a, a jackal or a dog or a half-man, half-goat, or a centauri, something like that. That's kind of what it was like, how the legs must. But it was all tanned, um, Indian headdress, um, leathery skin. And this thing was chasing me. And um, I remember clearly, because it, it chased me from my grandparents' house, which was where the dream took place, was at my grandparents' house. It chased me from my grandparents' house to my, my great-grandaunt's house. And there's like a little dirt path that led from my grandparents' house to my grand, grand aunt's house. Um, you know, in Jamaica, that's kind of how neighbors, you know, in the rural areas, kind of how your neighbors are. It's a little dirt trail from one neighbor to the uh, other neighbor. Anyways, this thing was chasing me, and I ran to my great-grand grand aunt's house. And I ran over, I, I was quite a headways I had a, had a good head start on it. So it wasn't catching up to me, but it was moving very fast. Anyways, I got over to her house and got on her patio. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I may have lost this thing. So I peeked around the corner off the patio, and there the monster was. And I, I, I believe you not, this thing slapped me. Slapped me so hard, right? And that's when I woke up. And when I woke up, it was probably about 7.30, close to 8 in the morning. And, um, and this is where it gets strange. Like, my, I was sore. And I'm not sure why I was sore. Like, my whole head was sore. And my mom saw me and she said, son, come here. I was like, she said, what What happened to your face? And I was like, uh, nothing. I just went to bed, had a dream. And woke up. She said, you had a dream? I said, yeah, I dreamt, you know, something was chasing me and I got slapped. And she took me to the mirror and told me to look at my face. And I kid you not, I had a handprint on my face, specifically on my right jaw. There was a handprint. And it didn't look like a regular handprint, like this thing had like... You could see the fingers, but there were like uh, uh, claw tips on top of the fingers. And it um, freaked us out, you know. And, and like I said, this thing has stuck with me over 20 years.
1: I am- Thank you, Jason, for taking the time to share. Let me take this moment to remind everyone that there is a five-minute limit on each call, but not a five-minute limit on each story. So in short, if you're disconnected after five minutes, simply call back and finish your call. We certainly do not want to miss any details. Now, back to Jason's call. Based on the information given, I can only deduce that he may have accidentally slapped himself in his sleep, leaving the peculiar mark. Of course, I realize this is a difficult thing to have happen and not wake up, but I suppose it's as good of an explanation as any. Jason, be sure to call back if there's more to the story that could shed some light on this mystery. Thank you again for submitting. And to finish things out for the evening, I'm going to revisit the local legends segment. With the recent total eclipse happening over Hopkinsville, Kentucky, I thought it would be fun to revisit the Hopkinsville goblin attack of 1955. The following news segment was produced by LEX18 NBC News out of Lexington, Kentucky. Here is that clip. A Mysterious event
2: back in 1955 inspired some of Hollywood's most famous movies, including E.T. and Poltergeist. A Kentucky family claimed to have been visited by
4: aliens from outer space. They said that for four hours, they fought off the aliens by shooting at them. LAX 16s Adam Weiner takes us back to the scene of this alleged alien encounter in tonight's Mystery Monday. Back in 1955, everyone thought the Sutton family was crazy. The family claimed to have been visited by a flying saucer and creatures described as small goblins. You know, you could see the fear in his face, in his eyes, when he would tell the story. But the Sutton story has never wavered, even 55 years later. You know, he was a small man, but he was scared of nothing. Almost nothing. Geraldine Sutton Stith wasn't yet born when her father had the unexplained encounter. They are keeping it hid from us if you want to know the truth about the whole thing. Her father, Elmer Lucky Sutton, one day explained to her it happened on the night of August 21st, 1955. The family actually battled with something for, for that long a period of time. You know, they battled for several hours. They ran to Hopkinsfield to get help, then they battled again until. Five fifteen in the morning. It was like a horror movie because these little suckers were like being shot and being hit and coming back.
1: And so, word spread like wildfire all over the area that a spaceship from Mars, uh, loaded with aliens, had landed in the yard of the Sutton home on the northeast side of Taylor.
4: local historian William Turner was a teenager at the time. He says the story turned the town upside down.
1: The media descending upon Hopkinsville, the involvement
4: of the military at nearby Fort Campbell, the participation by the state police. The story gripped the imagination of the country, says Turner, but is it true? Geraldine says, of course. You know, these were quiet people that didn't want nobody messing in their business. and something happened something visited them that night there was no evidence the family had been drinking that night and no evidence ever proved their story to be a lie covering the mysteries of christian county adam weiner lex 18 news the community of kelly just north of hopkinsville now holds a festival every year to celebrate its alien legacy
1: Of course, you can find that clip in the show notes for tonight's episode at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us. But before I go, the show has already reached 113 reviews on iTunes. And let's shoot for the moon here and ask for 113 more. It would tickle me pink if you took a few moments to rate and review the show. A simple five stars and a few nice words go a long way to ensure the show's survival. Speaking of survival, if you're looking for ways to help the show out, here you go. If you head over to the webpage, you'll see a Donate tab at the top. Click that bad boy and send a couple bucks over. Every penny sent helps cover hosting fees, website fees, and equipment upgrades. And it goes without saying that every penny is also greatly appreciated. Another more fun way to help out the show is to head over to cryptidcrate.com and sign up for the service. Not only do you throw a couple bucks my way, but you also get a box chuck full of cryptic gear to call your own. That's crypticrate.com. Be sure to follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Links to all three of those can also be found on the homepage. A little reminder that I'll be gracing the halls at Crypticon in Frankfort, Kentucky on September 10th. In addition, I'll be searching out the Mothman at the Mothman Festival a week later on Sunday, September 17th in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Say hi if you happen to see me. I hope to see you all there. I want to thank the very talented and very kind Warren Pond Abbott for his vocal contributions on tonight's show. And lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by MyU and Nature World 1986 Thank you all for listening, and until next week.